listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast, and I'm so excited. I'm Susie Lolly. I'm here with Carol Whitaker, and we are your co-hosts for this evening, and as a special treat, you can just imagine with us that you're having a cup of chai latte or Carol is having an iced coffee. We are here at the Daily Grind coffee shop in Marietta, and so if you hear the sound of a coffee bean grinder or someone closing a door, just know we're in a real, really cool place right now. Um, Tonight again, we're here to share another episode that really reflects the purpose of the blog, which is to help women find their identity in Christ. So if you are a woman who is needing that encouragement, like I said in the introduction, head on over to BeulahGirl.com and you'll find more information about that. Um, Tonight's article is about consecration. Tonight's discussion is about consecration. And, you know, as we think through the purpose of the Christian life, a lot of times different preachers, you know, maybe different positive speakers, try to help us sort through that maybe in our own minds we wonder what's the purpose of the christian life is it to make me happy is it you know that everything will be good is it you know that i'll be blessed well not really and so tonight even though those are kind of side notes to the christian life we're going to talk about what it means to be a vessel we're going to talk about a word called consecration that's been around for a long time but if you're not a theologian as i'm certainly not um we're going to start with just carol breaking that down into very practical terms so carol tell us about consecration Well, Susie, I'm going to start with just a story because I think that's going to help us to understand it. But it helped me certainly the last few weeks. My daughter, I have two daughters, but my oldest daughter is a third grader. And we're just one month into the school year in Georgia. We both live in Georgia here. If you're listening from some other part of the world or country or somewhere else, uh, we started school real early. We started August 1st and we're just a few weeks into the school year. And my daughter was situated in her class. She had a fairly large class. It was about 27 students. And she was very comfortable and happy. However, she did tell me it was a little noisy. So I was a little concerned about, as her mom. But a few weeks into the school year, um, just two weeks ago, we got a letter from the school and a call from the vice principal. And she told us that they were going to be moving my daughter out of that class and they were going to be separating it because they had more third graders than they thought they were going to have and so my daughter was very upset to hear that she was going to be moved because her best friend is in her class and several of her friends from last year so I had to break the news to her and she was devastated because her best friend wasn't going to go with her and it's been a little bit of a traumatic move for her every day she's been coming home and telling me things that she doesn't really like about the new class (laughs) and I've been explaining to her that her actually moving has been a privilege because the reason she was moved is they went down the roster and they picked students to go to the new class based on test scores and so the fact that she was moved at all is actually really a privilege because she has the kind of test scores that she didn't need some of the supports in the old classroom however she's seeing this move as a punishment Mm -hmm. she's really seeing it as all of the bad things that are happening because of it, the friends she can can take with her. And as she's been going through this and as I've been watching her struggle with this, it just kind of occurred to me how much like the spiritual life or our spiritual walk this is. That it tells us in 1 Peter 2.9 that we are chosen, that we are a royal priesthood, 
of believers that we've been called, that we are, have these special privileges as believers, mm-hmm. but there are things that we have to let go of in order to be the set-apart vessels that God can truly use. We have to leave behind sometimes relationships that are not right for us, that are yes. not good influences. We have to leave behind old patterns and sin, sinful habits that we know they're not good for us and they're not doing good things for us, but they're comfortable for us. Mm-hmm. They're what we've always known. We have to leave behind old thought processes and we may have to make decisions for, um, for God's kingdom that may not be necessarily comfortable, um, just lifestyle choices. And so while it's exciting to be chosen for God, to be set apart, the reality is that we have to give some things up. So I think it's important to understand what consecration really is. You've, you know, defined that term a little bit, but we're all called to live a consecrated life. And what it tells us um, in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11, it says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So what it talks about in 1 Peter 2.9 is just our position as Christians of being um, chosen. And I think it's important for us to realize that as God's chosen people, that our ultimate goal that God has for us is to be holy like he is holy. We don't earn this holiness. We don't work for it. We are justified because of Jesus' work on the cross. But consecration is just the process that all of us go through in our Christian walk where um, we have to leave behind certain behaviors and God works in our life to basically mold us into the character of Christ and make us more Christ-like. And so... Just like God called in the Old Testament, he called the nation of Israel his special possession. They were called people to be a light to other nations. We as believers are called to live separate, set not separate, but set apart lives so that right. other people can see God's work in our lives and, and be able to tell that we have something different in our lives. And there's just three points I really want to tell us about consecration, help us understand it better. Consecration... It really just means surrender in our life to give up control and to say, God, whatever it is you want to do through me, I'm, I'm willing for you to do that. John McNeil in The Spirit-Filled Life, he says three things about consecration. He says, number one, it involves surrender, that after conversion, you give not only your soul but your body too. For instance, when we're converted into Christianity, we accept Jesus Christ, that we have you know, acknowledge that he's our savior and he has saved our soul. But consecration is really acknowledging I'm giving my body as well. I'm giving my life to you. The second point we can, that from John McNeil that he talks about is a transfer of ownership that many of us are living today as if, you know, we're just living as if Jesus is our life insurance policy, right? but we're not really giving our lives over to him. And consecration means that we don't own our own lives, that we've been bought with a price. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 19, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And that we look at ourselves and say, okay, my life is not really my own. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is, to me, I'm a very independent person. That's a hard (laughs) 
thing to say yeah. and say, God, you can have your way. Mm-hmm. You can do what you want. That's very difficult to to just give him everything and say, God, have it. Um, and then the third point that John McNeil makes in the Spirit of the Life about consecration is that when a consecrated life or a life where, which is set apart for God is one that we we enthrone Christ. That he talks about this idea that when we're converted, that we invite Christ into our into our lives, into the throne room. But he says that we also have to put him on the throne. It's possible for him to be in the throne room, but we must put Jesus on the throne. And so, really, living the Christian walk is understanding that we've been set apart for God's purposes, as it tells us in First Peter two nine. And that there are sometimes things that can really stand in the way of us living this set-apart life. I love the word that I believe it's the King James Version that says, uh, in that same scripture, 1 Peter 2 and 9, it says you're a peculiar people. And um, peculiar really means like a weirdo. And we are going to be um, another another translation or maybe even a separate scripture. I need to probably do my research on this, but he says we're strangers and pilgrims. And so... Um, uh, there's a jars of a jars of clay song that I loved, like back in the um, in the '90s. I'm still stuck there in some of my Christian music, but it says, you know, people say I'm strange. Does that make me a stranger? It was the song Jesus Freak, and so all of this peculiarity and strangeness does not seem comfortable. And especially, I'm right with you. That's why I laughed when you said you like control. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we are, uh, you know, we're both Type A personalities in a lot of way. I feel like I fail at being Type A sometimes, but. Um, you know, really giving up control and being peculiar does not seem all that inviting. And so that leads us into, you know, some obstacles really that can stand in the way of a consecrated life. And I'm going to let you tell us more about them, but there are three of them. And I'm sure the people riding down the road are not taking notes, but just if they want to make a mental note as they're listening to this episode, the three obstacles that stand in the way are unbelief, ignorance, and fear. So Carol, why don't you tell us about unbelief and how that can stand in our way if we're trying to be consecrated? So unbelief, when we hear the word unbelief, many people think that that just can mean not believing in God. And it can mean that. But unbelief is something that Christians can even struggle with. And that is that in most, in many lives of of Christians, that unbelief can mean not believing in certain passages of scripture that they Mm. encounter or just not believing in certain promises. That can be unbelief. And I know that that's something that God's pointed out in my life that I've struggled at times with unbelief and having a hard time believing in the promises of God. In our spiritual walk, God is continually growing. He's refining us. However, there will be times that we're going to come across certain truths in the Bible that may be hard for us to accept or understand. Mm -hmm. And they may even offend us. Mm -hmm. There have been times where God has told me something that wasn't popular with me or I was even a little offended by it. And... In those moments, we have kind of a choice. Are we going to accept what God is saying as truth, or are we going to take our own path and take the path of unbelief? And I love this. I read this about Billy Graham. He's the famous you know, evangelist. You would think that somebody like Billy Graham would never struggle with unbelief or struggle with understanding the Bible. But he, very early in his ministry, he felt unsure about some of the truths that he was encountering in the Bible. And there was another pastor who had a talk with him and said, you know what? No one these days is taking everything in the Bible as truth. You don't really need to 
to take everything as truth. And Billy Graham went, he had a conversation with another person, he prayed about it, and ultimately the conclusion he came to, he said, is that by faith, he decided he would accept everything in the Bible as truth even when he didn't understand. Yeah. And we must do the same thing. That it's not that we can't have questions, it's not that we can't wrestle through ideas. We need to ask for wisdom if we don't know. James 1.5 tells us it's okay to wrestle and work out things. There was one time, Susie, where I said to God, God, why do you make it so hard to understand some of the things in the Bible? Why mm-hmm. isn't it easier? And that verse about work out your salvation with fear and trembling came to mind. And I felt like his answer to me was that if everything in the Bible was so easy to understand, we wouldn't need God. Right. We wouldn't have to be dependent. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand the truths of the Bible, um, to, to really let them sink in. And, and really just coming across something we don't understand and rejecting it and saying, well, I believe most of the Bible, but not that, can really be an obstacle in our, in, in our faith life. Absolutely, and I, I was thinking of the scripture, and I need to, actually, I might just take a minute and do that. I'll talk while I'm looking, but, you know, there's a scripture where a man comes to Jesus, and I believe it's he wants healing for his son, so I'm going to make sure I tell you the truth before I'm done with my part talking, but, um, you know, he wants healing for his son, and he, and Jesus just simply asks him, do you believe? And he says, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. I had never thought of that scripture, and I think you and I have probably talked about it before mm-hmm. on different things, but... What a powerful scripture to tell to God. God knows the inside of our heart anyway. So we can be wearing a shirt. We can have a bumper sticker. We can say, oh, I believe. And we can tell the world that. But God knows if we're flat out lying. (laughs) Um, He knows if there are parts of the Bible that we're like, I really struggle with that. There are definitely parts I struggle with. There are things happening in the world that I wish I had an easy answer to that I really, you know, could just define. And um, instead, I have to say to God, you know, help my unbelief. And I've had to say that many, many times. I'm so glad that he gives us scriptures like that where he showed people uh, being vulnerable. And it's in Mark chapter 9. So it says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So, yes, it was a father bringing his son. I wanted to make sure I was telling all the truth. But, um, you know, that I like that what Billy Graham said. It's so convenient in this world now to resist consecration by saying, well, I'm going to believe the things I want to believe. So many heresies going on, you know, with famous pastors that are just turning so many people astray. Um, But definitely, if we can't even believe what the Bible says, we're not going to be consecrated. So tell us then about, so, you know, that's maybe a choice we make to have unbelief as a Christian. But what about ignorance? That can be a second obstacle to um, consecration. Right. So unbelief is just coming across a truth and we say, I can't. I don't accept that truth. Too hard. <laughs> Too hard. Or yes. I, I just don't want to believe that right. truth because it just doesn't jive with what I was taught when I was younger or it's just going to be something that is going to bring, a, you know, an issue in my life. I'm going to have to make a decision I don't want to make mm-hmm. or have to forgive someone or do something really hard. Um, and I want to just back up real quick too before I go on with ignorance and just say that when we're saying you to accept everything in the Bible, we need to also know that that means that we we need to read passages in context. And right. sometimes you can read a, a verse in the Bible and God's not wanting you to read something out of context and try to apply that to your life in a way that is detrimental uh, because you don't understand the context of the passage. I mean, we really need to do our homework and make sure we're understanding what 
it's telling us. Are we reading an Old Testament passage that has a regulation that was a stipulation for just the nation of Israel? Right. That is, we're no longer under that those laws anymore. Um, and yes, those passages are still useful for our instruction, but we don't necessarily have to go through some of the. I'm not going to build an ark and start bringing animals into my house, right? Right. right. <laughs> so right. yes, reading in context. Right. So we need to make sure. But ignorance is different than unbelief, and ignorance is simply not knowing the truths of God, or it's it's not attempting to know them in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm a former English teacher. You're a former English teacher. I love to study the Bible, and I love the meanings of passages and look up commentary. It's an endless source of wisdom for me, mm-hmm. but it wasn't always this way. Mm-hmm. For most of my Christian walk, I very much relied on other people to tell me what the Bible said. And pastors, and pastors are wonderful. We need to go to church. We need to be under the leadership of other spiritual leaders. We need that in our life. And we need people who are very knowledgeable in explaining the Bible. And those people have been wonderful in my life. But we need to also be reading the Bible for ourselves and have that personal time with God where he can speak to us individually. He can definitely speak to us through a sermon. He can definitely speak to us in a Bible study. But ignorance is simply not really knowing or taking the time to learn what the Bible says. And that can very much be an obstacle as far as living the life we're intended to live. Because if we're not taking time to learn the truths of God, we don't know what he's even saying to us about how to live. And we, right. we aren't opening ourselves up to him to speak to us as far as through the truths of his word. Um, and when we're young in the faith, we don't need to know everything. Um, we may worry that, wow, we just don't know everything there is and we may feel overwhelmed. But God really honors our steps of faith. Right. That he gives us just what we need at the time that we need it. Mm-hmm. If we're pursuing and seeking and constantly trying to learn um, his word, but if we're, we're not making any attempts, then the voices from the culture, other voices are going to be that which are guiding our steps rather than the word of God. Right. And um, I was just thinking that, you know, we've always heard for years and years, ignorance is bliss. Well, really not in God's kingdom. And in so many ways, God has an upside down kingdom anyway. So the things that apply to the world and things that we can logically figure out don't always apply to God's kingdom. Um, As a matter of fact, I think a lot of times we don't want knowledge because then we have accountability with that. So a lot of times people want to stay, like you said, baby Christians, because then, oh, well, I just didn't know. Well, it's it's time, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, girding up your loins like a man. Now, I'm not going to be a man. (laughs) I'm saying, you know, becoming mature. He said, you know, at one point you were a child, but then when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so um, I love that. None of the things you're telling us are going to be things that are impossible for us to attain because God can bring us into belief from unbelief. He can bring us into um, knowledge instead of ignorance and wisdom instead of ignorance, which definitely is something we want to apply. Um, So I love that that doesn't have to be an obstacle, um, but it's something that you even said in your story. It wasn't always something you desired, but God has brought desire in you to, you know, study his word and fall in love with his word. Um, what's another obstacle? You were talking about, um, you know, unbelief, ignorance. What's another obstacle to our consecration with the Lord? Well, the last one I want to talk about is fear. And this is a very personal, all of these obstacles I've been talking about, I want those people listening to know that these have been issues I've struggled with. Mm-hmm. That there, I'm not saying that those of you listening are any, you know, that this is something that you're struggling with that I've never struggled with. Fear is 
been an issue for me. It continues to be an issue for me. For those women who are listening, who have been in situations in your childhood or otherwise where you were maybe abused or you were greatly rejected, you may have a real fear of man, a fear of other people that may be rooted in very deep emotional wounds that maybe because of the way a father treated you or because of the way that you were treated by schoolmates or in a relationship with a boyfriend or maybe with a husband, you may really fear people. However, fear is something that can very much stand in the way of us doing what God would have us to do because fear, it talks about in Proverbs how fear is a snare. Um, I just want to read the passage in Proverbs. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The way that fear can be a snare is that it can prevent us from doing what God would have us to do. Mm -hmm. For instance, he may want us to witness to someone in a situation. He may want us to go up and pray for somebody in public Mm -hmm. or very publicly declare our faith in a way that makes us very uncomfortable. (laughs) And we may want to run away and say, I can't do this. I'm so afraid. But the way that we are kept safe is if our fear of the Lord is greater than our fear of man. Right. Fear of man can keep us from doing and obeying God in, in a situation. I want to read two other passages. Matthew ten twenty eight says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And similarly, Paul in Galatians 1, 10, he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So, I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about Susie because you're the opposite of me. I don't know that you're ever afraid of anything. In yes. fact, you probably are the person who like looks for opportunities to be bold and do bold things. So, tell me what what you're kind of going through your mind as you're listening here. I love that I'm on a podcast that is not connected to my blog. So, I'm going to let you into a couple stories and I am very fearful. What I have learned um, over the years is just if I will do it really fast, I don't have a chance to marinate on my fear. And um, for example, and this is uh, might strike a chord with some listeners, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. But uh, when the movie Fifty Shades of Grey was coming out, um, it broke my heart. I mean, just in a thousand pieces because I thought we have so many women. And this is not in a condemning way. This is honestly, in a, like I said, it broke my heart. We have so many women that are so broken that they're willing to look to a man who treats a woman cruelly and get a fix from that. And, um, and so God laid it on my heart to uh, buy, not movie tickets, but I knew, because I don't want to buy the movie for them, but on Valentine's Day, I wanted to go stand outside the movie theater, and I wanted to hand out free popcorn and Coke and a Valentine from Jesus to the women who were going to the movies. And um, so I just felt that burning in my heart, and I brought it up to a group at church, and we were able to, I think, do like 150 tickets. I mean, 150 popcorn, Coke, whatever combinations. And knowing that all these women were probably coming to see something, but I just had so much fear. But, um, you know, I feel like, like I said, it's not, I'm trying to think of some inspirational thing. It was maybe Winston Churchill who was saying something like, you know, it's not the absence of fear. It's just what you do with it. I just butchered that. You guys can look that up, and I don't feel guilty because that's not the scripture. (laughs) Um, But, and then another time God asked me to, um, I was at Books A Million, and I felt an overwhelming urge to get down at the bench in Books A Million and pray out loud out loud. I mean, go to war like it was an altar. There's a little bench back there. Um, it looks like an altar. And I, I just all of a sudden felt an overwhelming desire to get down and 
make war on the heavenlies. And I don't mean heaven where Jesus lives, but he talks about the heavenly realms is where Satan and his imps or whatever. And I just felt the urge. And I'm like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. So I just had to really just get down really fast. And I prayed my guts out in the middle of that book's million. I do not know if anybody came and looked at me because I wouldn't. You say I'm not fearful, but I wouldn't open my eyes to look. But, um, you know, that's just a couple stories where it's not about not being afraid. It's just about challenging that. And um, I made sure to find where this scripture was before I mentioned it. But in Proverbs 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And um, so when I loved what you said, you said that we've got to just have more fear of God than we have of the world. And so if we do have fear, God is the antithesis of that. And if we start to fear him, then we realize, wait a minute. Um, first of all, he's the one, like you said in that scripture you just read, he's the one who can you know, take your body and soul and send it to hell if he chose to. Um, but also because we have such a loving Savior, when we have fear of the Lord, it helps us not to fear people who also need to find Jesus and that we, you know, can show them that way. So a very powerful word from you, Carol. I've been very touched. Um, you know, what would you leave us with? Because we've got obstacles, but we've also, you've shared with us ways to overcome that. So what would you say to us about people who maybe have heard conse consecration wasn't a word they're familiar with. Now they know, now they know kind of what's fighting against that. But, you know, what encouragement would you leave us with about consecration? Well, we've been talking about the things that stand in the way of a consecrated life. But I think ultimately we have to leave with the idea that we're all in process and that God wants to point these areas out to us so we can be aware, not so he can bang us over the head and say, right. you're never going to get it right. You're never going to live a good enough life. That's not what God does. And what we need to understand also about consecration is living a consecrated life is not trying to be good enough for God. It's not trying to earn justification. We're justified because of God's Jesus's work on the cross. Right. And sanctification is the work, or I'm saying sanctification that's sometimes used with consecration. This is not about cleansing us of sin necessarily. This is about us offering ourselves back up to God and getting, you know, having Him point out some areas that are maybe preventing us from really living the set apart special called lives that we're meant to live. So this mm -hmm. isn't meant to be a negative, you have these horrible things going on in your life. This is meant to say, okay, let's take an assessment here. Are there some things holding me back from mm -hmm. really going and running towards that awesome purpose God has for me? Mm -hmm. Because we all have sin that likes to entangle us and hold us back from our faith run and the purpose that God has for us. And I know that often I think of Satan you know, using just temptation in the typical types of ways like lust or whatever to hold me back. But Satan uses fear right. and he doubt to pull us down. And I know in my own walk, sometimes when I'm, whenever there's something big that I'm doing for God, it's like I get so fearful or doubt. And that is Satan trying to derail us from our purpose. Right. And so this message is meant to be very encouraging that God has such a special purpose for you. And that let's let's have him help us get rid of these things that are really holding us back. And really trust that God knows exactly where to use us. And he knows the part that we're going to play and we can trust him. I want to just end with a quick story. Um, years ago when I was in choir at a much, at a, at a well, I go to a large church now, I should say. <laughs> I used to go to a large church as well. We had a large choir. And 
I was getting back into doing some solos after being out for like 15 years, Susie. Yeah. And we're not talking a stage in front of five people. We're talking a few thousand people. And they give very professional productions every year for the Christmas musical. And so it's been literally 15 years since I've done a solo. And this, I used to do solos at like the little vineyard church where it was just kind of thrown together and, you know, no one worried about you know, harmonizing or <laughs> professional things like that. It was just get up there and, you know, sing. And it was just, you know, it was just fun. It was very relaxed. And everything at my old church was very professional and yeah. we had very serious musicians that, you know, could really, really sing and had like master's degrees in music and things like that. And so my choir director, I tried out for a solo and I could literally was shaking and could barely get through it and I think he just kind of assessed the situation and decided that <laughs> he didn't give me that solo but he called me back later and said I want you to do this duet and so I was like okay and it was um just a real small small duet over the rest of the choir and there was also a children's choir and so it was a much smaller part and it was a part that I would not have chosen for myself but I ended up really loving doing it it was the person I was singing with, it was really fun. And then I also used to be in a children's choir when I was young. And so they had the Mount Perrin Christian School Children's Choir just do the intro. And I got to sing over, and there was all this stuff. There was the big choir in the back. There was the little choir. And it wasn't a part I would have chosen for myself, but I realized that the director really had better judgment in that situation. I, I'm not sure what would have happened if he had given me the solo, but I don't think I would have made it through it because it was a really stripped down, like, guitar only and, and you the person who do it <laughs> yes yes and I was like whoa I, I don't know what you would have gotten from me in that situation but I think I think about that and I think that sometimes the area God has us in our lives is not the part that we have chosen for ourselves mm -hmm. but it's the best and I'm borrowing this from Charles Stanley who's written the blessings of brokenness he says that this that God can orchestrate the life for you that is so much better than you could have ever orchestrated for yourself. And mm -hmm. we had to trust him. And I think that's what's the hardest thing in letting go is because we think that we know what's best for us. Right. And we see when we're in the middle, wow, this doesn't look like I want it to. This isn't where I want it to be. And it's like, no, God has a place for us and it's what's for our good, but it's also for the good of others. And right. he could see that perspective. Whereas Susie, let's just face it. Most of us are mainly concerned about what's just good for us right, right. <laughs> I'll be totally honest about that well this has been such a blessing such an encouragement and I know in my life um, I definitely uh, you just cracked me up saying I don't have fear I definitely do but um, I just love that God doesn't bring us out into the middle of the ocean and leave us there I mean he's so faithful we talked about that last time about you know Peter walking on the water um, I just want to end with this thought that the word for the church in Greek is ecclesia, and it just means called out ones. And so the whole purpose of the church is to look a little, to look a lot different, to look different, to be different, but so that many, many can come to Him. And so I just want to pray that God would help us to be consecrated. God, we love you. You are such a wonderful and passionate Savior. God, that you know the song we've been singing for several years now that says, you know, you love us like a hurricane, and. Um, you know, as we're recording this, where a lot of people are facing those strong winds, and what a powerful thing to know that we have a Jesus who is just that passionate about us, God. You're like, you know, your love is the depths of the ocean, God. We can't even comprehend it. So nothing, none of these obstacles can stand against our great God, but Lord, you are going to win. You are winning. 
I just pray that each sweet woman that is listening to this podcast right now that feels at the end of her rope, that feels like she can't be different. She's always been this way. She's always going to be this way. Lord, don't let unbelief or ignorance or fear or any other obstacle stand in her way because you said in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We will be consecrated. We will be the set-apart ones, God, that you've called us to be. We thank you, Jesus, and we know, Lord, that you have the final say. Amen. Amen.